Hi there, I'm Noel Abbott, Chief Operating Officer of Gondrepreneur.com, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly with cannabis business owners, activists, and industry stakeholders to bring you actionable information to improve your business strategy and to help normalize cannabis. Today, I'm hosting a special edition of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, and I am joined by Cy Scott, Brian Wansilich, and Scott Vickers of Headset, a market data and business intelligence platform for the cannabis industry. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks again for hosting me. Uh, Just so our audience is up to date, Cy, Brian, and Scott are also the original founders of Leafly, one of the most popular cannabis websites in the world. And just a few weeks ago, I was here on site at the headset office for a podcast interview about their experience uh, developing, growing, and ultimately exiting Leafly to launch their new venture, uh, Headset, uh, how they came up with the idea for a strain database and information portal to begin with. Uh, how the design of Leafly has had a major impact on visual design throughout the cannabis industry and just what that whole startup journey was like for them. So, you know, I definitely recommend checking it out. We covered a lot of ground and there are a ton of insights and inspirations to be gleaned, I think, for anyone who's currently in full startup mode pursuing their dreams. So if you missed that episode, you can find it on gondrepreneur.com or wherever you download podcasts. So today we're going to be talking a lot about market data. Uh, First, for the people who didn't listen to the previous episode yet, and also just as a general refresher, can you give me a brief overview of what Headset is as a platform and where your market data ultimately comes from? And then also, what is the scope of the data that we'll be discussing today? Sure. So Headset is a data and analytics company for the cannabis industry. Uh, We really are out there to try and take the assumptions and the guesswork out of making key business decisions about your cannabis business, whether that's uh, your own internal data, if you're a retailer or dispensary, making better sense of what uh, your store's data is telling you, or a processor, vendor, um, producer, a group like that, really understanding uh, the competitive landscape, um, your brand positioning, and where opportunities uh, might exist through market intelligence. So for the scope of today's line of questions, what is the, the batch of data that we're looking at? Sure. So today we're going to be talking a lot about our market data. Uh, so that all comes from uh, the point of sale systems directly. So we're able to uh, look in aggregate across all these different tr- transactions happening at different retailers uh, within different markets. Uh, we work with uh, 10 of the leading point of sales right now in the industry. We're always adding more as well. Uh, And as far as uh, the data that we're going to be looking at, it's primarily uh, from the beginning of 2016 to today uh, in the Washington state market. Uh, So uh, with the questions I have today, I'm going to be diving into a lot of specifics about consumer demographics and market trends um, that are reflected in this data. Uh, So my first question is, what have you seen so far in terms of the consumer demographics and um, their behavior? What age range buys the most cannabis and do different demographics have different preferences in terms of the types of products that they buy? Um, you, you know, they, they do have some different preferences. Um, you know, we, we still see, of course, flour is still the largest overall category, uh, um, you know, regardless of generation. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, the second place category that people buy into uh, is different for each generation. Like, for, for example, millennials, they tend to buy concentrates the most, make up 17% of sales uh, for their generation. For Gen X, it's kind of a tie between uh, concentrates and vapor pens specifically. 
And then uh, boomers, uh, they, they like vapor pens and pre-rolls the most. And then I think you could just look at the silent generation, just primarily going for vapor pens. Um, yeah, so uh, in terms of like consumption of flour by volume, millennials, Generation X and baby boomers, they split all their spend like in you know, very similar ways. And um, you know, how much of the market is made up by each demographic? Is it heavily um, leaning in, in one direction or is it spread evenly kind of across the board? Uh, I think you know, we, we see millennials as being the dominator in, in that regard. Uh, they, they make up the most um, right now. Um, they, they've like holding 40, 49% of the total market share uh, from last year and a slight increase this year to 51%. Um, but not too far behind that are the Gen Xers and it's like 35% of the market share last year and about 34% for this year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also if you just want to throw in uh, like gender, women make up a larger part uh, of the market for Gen Xers and boomers um, than, than other generations, 35%. Uh, and 38% respectively. Uh, millennials, uh, women make up about 31% of the purchases. And of course, silent generation, they're mostly male dominated. So it's about 22% of women make up sales from that generation. That's interesting to hear that there are more women from the boomer generation than other generations. I would kind of expect it to be the millennial generation that would have the most equal distribution of consumers, you know, the most balanced uh, normalization of cannabis across genders. I wonder if that's kind of a representation maybe of just how harsh the propaganda against cannabis has been since the 60s. Yeah, we thought that was kind of a striking uh, little, little stat there. Um, so as the market has grown and evolved, uh, have the demographics shifted very much? Um, are, there, are there consumer demographics that are growing faster than others? Um, you know, I, I think it's just pretty, you know, they all pretty close, but uh, we're starting to, like I mentioned also, seeing millennials kind of take that charge right mm -hmm. now. So it sounds like pretty much everybody prefers flour, and that's the most common uh, purchase across all demographics. Across the market as a whole, uh, what strains do people buy the most often? Yeah, uh, so Blue Dream is the king, um, which has kind of been seems to be everybody's favorite all the time uh, since since I started smoking weed anyway as always um, so as far as units sold blue dream uh, a close second is gorilla glue um, you know they they're close uh, blue dream I think had about uh, one million forty thousand units uh, for a total kind of combined revenue of roughly 19 million dollars in um, in Washington. Gorilla Glue sold slightly less units, um, but slightly higher revenue. Uh, so 30,000 fewer units, uh, but total estimated revenue is about 21.2 million. Uh, Dutch Treat follows after that, a pretty significant decline. And then Green Crack um, comes fourth place. Green Crack's fourth place. Yeah, cool. so still holding on there. Um, but yeah, so the Blue Dream and Gorilla Glue, although Blue Dream uh, sold more units, less revenue, you know, it could be uh, larger producers doing Blue Dream uh, at a more discounted price uh, versus the ones doing Gorilla Glue. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is driven by consumer versus driven by the producer. If, you know, so many farms are growing Blue Dream strains because they know that it's everybody's favorite strain, or if it's a little bit of both where people like the strain that they see everywhere um, and that they've, they're most familiar with. Yeah, definitely um, could be both and the larger producers, um, you know, have obviously more shelf space, uh, more distribution across the state. So that kind of drives purchases as well. 
may not be necessarily the tr strain choice, but more the availability. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, a lot a lot of producers do Blue Dream because it's always been popular. Um, so cool. So my next question may be opening a huge can of worms, both with our audience and your customers, I would bet. So I really need to preface it by saying that there are a lot of different factors that define success and popularity. And there are a lot of producers who are specifically going for that small boutique model. Uh, but that said, who are the market leaders in Washington state just based on the numbers? Sure. So <clears throat> when we dig into our data, um, you know, really a majority of sales uh, goes, goes to the flower category, mm -hmm. uh, roughly about 60% of all transactions um, are related to flower products. So when we look at, you know, top brands or who's, who's selling the most units uh, and driving the most revenue, it's really uh, brands that operate within that flower category. Um, here in Washington State, uh, the top two brands that we're seeing are Fat Panda and NWCS, or Northwest Cannabis Solutions. Uh, they come pretty close in terms of both estimated units sold and estimated revenues, uh, pretty neck and neck there. Uh, and then they're followed up by uh, Artisan Cannabis, uh, which sells about 300,000 units less than Fat Panda or uh, NWCS. Um, and when we look at you know, Fat Panda and WCS, they're about 1.2 million units sold. Uh, and that's looking at data for the last year, so from a year ago to today, uh, driving about 22 to $24 million in estimated revenue. So pretty sizable brands. And then Artisan uh, coming in at about 760,000 units sold, so just you know, under or over 300,000 less than the top two. Uh, followed up by Fireline Cannabis and Top Shelf Cannabis. When we look at Fireline or Top Shelf, they do about 50% of the units sold uh, that we're seeing at Fat Panda. So it's pretty interesting uh, how much market share uh, groups like Fat Panda and NWCS mm -hmm. uh, are grabbing. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the number of SKUs that they're producing. Uh, our data shows that they have over 1,000 uh, different SKUs on the market uh, across nine different segments. Uh, when we look at pricing as an indicator, they're actually a little more expensive than industry average for their average item price for single gram products, about $9 for Fat Panda, uh, where the industry average is $8, and that's pre-tax uh, mm -hmm. pricing. Um, so a little more expensive. Uh, same thing with their eighths or three and a half grams, where they're at about $30 versus an industry average of about $24. Um, they've got really good distribution, which could drive a lot of those uh, unit sales. Um, and uh, you know they're also pretty well known for you know some uh, interesting branding and packaging. Yeah, definitely. I think a, a lot of the uh, the retailers that I go to in Bellingham, they have a shelf with the Fat Panda label. You know, all the different products with their different labels, and you know you can kind of tell when you're scanning across. There are certain brands who make everything uniform, and then you know Fat Panda and a few others have every label very colorful, unique, and it really pops out when you're scanning a shelf. So um, I also want to ask about CBD dominant strains and um, specifically how much of a role they really play in the market. Are they popular um, as, a, as a consumer purchase or is it something that's you know, relatively uncommon? Yeah, so they are pretty low as far as a share of the market, um, hovering just under 1% of all flower units sold, flower and pre-roll. Uh, that this would um, include. So it's uh, less than 1%. Yeah, a little bit less than 1%. So I think, um, you know, on the popularity side, uh, Harlequin, Pennywise, and ACDC are kind of the 
the go-to high CBD strains that people produce. Um, but yeah, it's not, not, not all that big as far as market share. Do you think that might be partially due to availability or, or do you have a way of, of knowing you know, whether um, these products are sitting on the shelves or whether they're being produced in high quantities and just not selling or is it something that maybe you know, they're, they're just not producing very much of them so it's, it's not a very... Uh... Yeah, I think uh, our sense is that it's more due to consumers looking mm-hmm. for the high THC. Um, you know, you go, you're spending $10 or whatever you're spending, you want the most bang for your buck typically. Mm-hmm. CBD is somewhat specialized for you know, a lot of medical uh, consumers who are looking for that pain relief. Uh, people like it, you know, the kind of more connoisseur uh, purchasers also, but mm-hmm. it's just it still remains a pretty small segment uh, across the board. So do you think that perhaps um, people are, are buying CBD in other formats? Maybe they're, they're buying CBD vape cartridges or concentrates or something like that? Yeah, definitely on the vape cartridges, uh, it's going to be more um, you know, easier to include CBD uh, in an extraction uh, or add it in in the mm-hmm. cartridge versus growing a high CBD strain. Sure. Also kind of the more um, medical forms like um, the capsules mm-hmm. and tinctures and stuff, they can also you know, add it in and, and kind of market that uh, more towards that, those consumers, the higher CBD, people looking for it. It's okay. definitely easier than, than growing the flower. Yeah, that makes sense. So when consumers do purchase flour, um, just any type of flour, what volumes do they tend to purchase in? Do people buy in bulk or is it pretty much, um, you know, small quantities here and there trying out a lot of different brands? Sure. When we look into this, we, we kind of see mostly, you know, it's the, the smaller units like grams, uh, it's like 44%. Pretty much uh, our customers are just buying, you know, 44% or grams. Just one single gram. Correct. Correct. Yep. And then, uh, you know, that, that bumps up a little bit more, but not by a whole lot, like 39% of consumers purchase eighths, obviously, after that. Uh, less, of course, uh, when you start going up in, in the weights. Um, you know, but maybe sometimes with uh, price-minded consumers, i.e. millennials, you know, it would maybe behoove them to buy like a good low-priced, you know, half ounce if there's a good deal on it. That's interesting to learn that there's this big chunk of the population that's going in just to buy a single gram, you know. I wonder if that's people who are kind of just looking for a casual weekend or maybe now that cannabis is available in stores, people just aren't as worried about running out as they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as some people joke about millennials and avocado toast, maybe oh, yeah. there's a correlation there. Uh, I don't know, just to perpetuate that silly little quip that people make. I'm a millennial and I love avocado toast, but probably say cannabis is better for me in the long run. So let's talk about pricing. Um, I've seen prices go up and down quite a bit since the market launched in Washington. It's been very volatile, um, but it does seem like over the past year, things have started to stabilize a bit somewhat. Um, over the past year, what, what have been the average prices for different, uh, different volumes? Yeah, no, great question. And I think this kind of uh, feeds into what Brian was just saying about, you know, the volume sold, seeing this large amount of sales going to grams, almost 50% essentially. Um, and a lot of it could be, you know, driven by price. And what we're seeing, um, the average item price for a gram of flour is about $8. 
Again, that excludes uh, the taxing on, on that product. So it's probably not your out-the-door price, for sure not the out-the-door price. Uh, for that, you're gonna have to add back in an additional 45%, essentially, which is uh, the cannabis taxation and then the sales tax included there. Um, but still, you know, relatively low price uh, for a single gram. You know, pricing, what we've seen, uh, and pricing is, in general is that it's really it has dropped quite a bit from the beginning of the industry uh, but it's it's somewhat leveling out now um, at least as far as retail pricing goes um, so you know grams about eight dollars and then uh, eighths which you know make up about you know 40 percent of all sales uh, so 3.5 grams goes for about 24 dollars um, and then if we're looking at the, the higher end of weights, uh, you know, ounces of flour, uh, average item price is about $95, uh, which breaks down to about $3.40 uh, per gram. So when you compare that per gram price, $3.40, to an $8 per gram price for just purchasing the single grams, you see it's, it's essentially saves about 50% to buy in bulk. So, um, you know, you get a much better deal that way. Um, you know, like many products, you know, bulk sales generally drive the prices down uh, per unit, but there's things like packaging costs that are excluded, you know, that, that roll into that single mm -hmm. gram price, um, especially in markets like Washington where everything has to be prepackaged. Right. Yeah, it's so funny to see a giant bin full of single gram baggies. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just how it works here. So, you know, single grams and eights are kind of similar in price to what I remember pre-legalization, at least where I was in Southern California. That said, what have been some of the most expensive cannabis products that have uh, ever been sold and recorded by uh, your system? Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny. Uh, there, of course, it, it varies per category, right? Uh, but you know, I think the, the one that stands out the most is in the pre-roll category. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got Canagars out there. There's a company called Liera. They make a Canagar, and those can go from like you know three hundred and fifty dollars a unit on average, sometimes more, depending wow. on the store you buy it at. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that they they bill that as a special occasion kind of pre-roll Canagar. It's fifteen uh, grams. Yeah, fifteen grams. Oh, well, there's a lot going into it too. Mm -hmm. It's not just um, you know not just a pre-roll. Not just a pre-roll. Yeah, and it's not just wrapped in like some kind of tobacco leaf. You know, it's wrapped in cannabis leaves, and there's layers of of keef and, and sometimes, you know, strung in with like oils and, and mm -hmm. you know, waxes and things like that. It's really potent. Um, so, you know, a lot of love and care goes into it. It probably justifies that price point. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you, you go into the other categories and, you know, edibles. Uh, I think there's a producer here, Sweet Nirvana Bakery. Uh, they make uh, these 10 packs of like these fruit chews, groovy chews, I believe. Um, and they sell them at like $40 a unit on average. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's uh, pricier than some of the others you could see out there, depending on who's selling it, what their mm -hmm. suggested price is. Uh, but that's what we're seeing. Um, you know, and we could go into other categories. Uh, I think if you look at it concentrates, um, we have a producer also known as Craft Elixirs, and they sell for $130 a unit, which is like three grams of uh, this, this Jackie White RSO. Mm -hmm. um, so it's some special stuff and um, you know they, they justify the price I'm sure because three grams it's a kind of a quantity to buy when it mm -hmm. comes to concentrates most concentrates we see are sold at uh, one gram units yeah that's interesting um, how the prices vary quite a bit per category you know like a single pre-roll um, that's not a Canagar is between five and ten bucks usually from what I've seen and then you can 
Right, you can you can go all the way up to a you know extremely luxurious product, and then in some of these other categories, it's a lot more. You know, there's a lot more similarities between the you know more expensive products and the less expensive products. Um, but looking at the big picture of the market um, over the past year, what product categories would you say are currently the fastest growing or uh, would make the best opportunities if I'm a producer processor? <clears throat> yeah, to, to know the best opportunities, you have to subscribe. But, <laughs> but there's a, you know, it gets, it gets a little bit complicated in figuring out opportunities with growth rates and um, number of competitors and all those sorts of things, but kind of high level. Um, categories that are growing, edibles are growing pretty fast. Um, flour, although total sales grow year over year for sure. I think the past at least 12 months, maybe 12 to 18 months, the overall market share of flour is declining, uh, where it's getting picked up by a lot of concentrates, um, edibles. And then smaller categories, things like capsules, tinctures where there's not a lot of players uh, in it uh, are growing at a higher rate of course there's a lot fewer dollars involved but um, there's really you get you know I think there's something like 1200 or more flower brands available <laughs> uh, something crazy like that and capsules you know there's significantly mm -hmm. fewer maybe it's 10 or less uh, for capsules or beverages um, things like that kind of offer a little bit easier opportunity to stand out from the crowd when you're not competing with uh, so many others. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of fewer competitors in the segment mm -hmm. means um, yeah, there's probably not a lot of consumers looking for it. The stores don't want to take up a lot of shelf space. Mm -hmm. You don't want necessarily you don't need five to carry five different sure. brands for capsules. You'd rather use that uh, that money on inventory on more flour more concentrates mm -hmm. um, and then have you know capsules for people there that want them but maybe only sell one or two different types I get that from a retail perspective totally it's just hard for me not to assume that there might still be this you know group of patients out there left over from the medical market in Washington that would probably go for those more medical oriented products um, not to mention people who have never tried using cannabis to treat their arthritis or their back pain or what have you. And I don't know, it just seems like as an, as an observer of the industry that there could be an opening there in terms of you know, there being a need that isn't fully met. But I guess to really see that, you would need to look at the data on an individual basis. Um, so as a, as a headset user, whether you're a producer processor or a retailer, uh, can you actually track all of these individual statistics to see what's selling and where the opportunities are as they relate to your own business? That's exactly. correct. That's okay. correct. And in real time as well. Okay. So it's, uh, the stats aren't stale. You don't have to wait a month or so to see these. Uh, you just log right in and you're, you're there. Okay. And so for people who aren't subscribers, um, I understand that you guys produce on a regular basis um, industry reports that are similar to what we've done today where you kind of isolate a chunk of data and then you dive into it and come up with analysis um, to hopefully enlighten people about the, you know, the industry, trends within the industry, um, and um, how certain product categories are performing and things like that. Um, with the reports that you've produced so far, uh, what have been some of the most interesting or unexpected discoveries that you've found while, you know, while looking at all this data? Yeah, yeah, and that's a cool question. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, things stand out or it's just 
sometimes being validated of our, of our assumptions is, is great. Um, we do put these reports out once a month at least. Um, we had a demographics report that was uh, our most recent, and you know we we spoke to some of it earlier. But there was a pretty pretty funny stat in terms of like the silent generation. I don't know, it's not funny, but um, you know, the ten percent of their items are, are you know that they purchase are over forty dollars. So like they spend the most on on like you know the most expensive products hmm. you could say, and maybe it's just because you know I don't know. I hate to say, maybe they're on their way out, and they're just yeah. like, let's just get the premium stuff, right. you know, while we can. And so I thought that was a pretty good uh, standout stat that we got from that report. Um, and you know what, though, interestingly enough, is uh, the basket size has kind of declined for all the age groups uh, just oh, over really? the last year. And our assumptions could be that just might be that the novelty of legal mm -hmm. cannabis here in Washington is just worn down a little bit. Everybody knows, you know, sure. it's not a big deal. And when it's a new thing, you show up and you want to try everything, and then yes. once you get used to it, you just are there for for the one thing you're picking up. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're just seeing everyone, like you mentioned, they're like, mm -hmm. all right, we got this now, and they just kind of kind of even out a little bit, um, you know. But you know, millennials they haven't actually slowed down in, in their their purchases. It's still pretty. Pretty good, uh, you know. Their their baskets. I guess you know we've seen that they've declined only 18 percent, while you know uh, Gen Xers and the Baby Boomers, their baskets have declined like 25 percent. Hmm. Um, so, and then of course, Silent Generation, theirs is the largest decline, like at 40 percent. Um, so, you know, maybe you know because millennials are already buying more affordable items, uh, might be a sign that their consumption is just more durable than hmm. the other generations. Uh, or maybe it's more of an essential uh, than it is a luxury, mm -hmm. so we can make that assumption there. I thought that was pretty interesting. Right, cool. um, yeah, and we, you know, um, if we could just roll into another one, concentrates. That report was uh, on uh, before the demographics report that we did, pretty fresh. And um, you know, concentrates they 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 have a small share of the market when you compare it to flour, but um, they're now currently like the second largest category that we're seeing come up. And uh, you know, it made up 11% of uh, almost 12% um, uh, of sales in just from July, uh, and that's up from like 10% of the previous year. So uh, you know, uh, concentrates are something to look at now that they've surpassed uh, pre-rolls, which used to hold the second place uh, growth category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I would expect that you know because they've really only sprung onto the scene in a major way within the past five years or so, that there are still a lot of people who are trying them for the first time and maybe getting their first um, dab pen or something like that that you know would enable them to buy concentrates on a regular basis. Yeah, and there's some interesting thoughts around uh, you, know, uh, you know, younger generations perhaps not wanting to smoke as much. Uh, and they, they lean towards you know, oils as a better way, maybe healthier way. Because you're, you're consuming less, getting a, a higher impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, and potency and stuff like that. There are 16 segments within uh, concentrates, which is pretty pretty big number of, of you know breaking down that one category. Uh, you know, basically uh, we see we see wax 60% of total sales uh, and shatters uh, you know a distant second with 12%. Hmm. And those numbers have kind of changed over the last couple of years dramatically. So uh, concentrates are something to look at, and it's pretty pretty interesting to watch that one. And so these reports that you produce, are they all just available online? Yeah, uh, you can actually go uh, to headset.io and, and look up uh, you know, our, our industry reports. Of course, there's a little bit of a form we'd want you to fill out you know, just, just to see uh, you know, where you are, who you are. 
A lot of consumers, just regular regular folks, just love to get these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do it for free, but we are going to roll out uh, a paid model for some more in-depth reporting around that. So, you know, we put out these these current reports. They're smaller snack size reports, you could say, but we're going to we're going to actually get more firepower behind those and and release, you know, quarterly and yearly reports that uh, we would probably want to definitely uh, start charging for. So, it's uh, something to look out for next year. Okay, cool. We all look forward to checking those out. Um, that's pretty much all the time we have for today. Um, thank you again for hosting me. Yeah, definitely. Of Thanks, Noel. Always a pleasure. This has been a special edition of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast featuring the co-founders of Headset, Cy Scott, Brian Wanselich, and Scott Vickers. You can find more episodes as well as transcripts of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you'll find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily. You can also download the Gondrepreneur app in iTunes and Google Play. I have been your host, Noel Abbott.